the goal of this is for us to grow not only in our knowledge and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how He works, but I want us to experience the Holy Spirit. I want us... I, I don't want just to fill your head with knowledge. I, I want to, to fill your life with living experiences with the Holy Spirit. Um, we started the first message by talking about the, the Holy Spirit being like the wind, that He's sovereign. He blows as He pleases. Um, he, we don't control Him. We don't gin up His presence. He does as He chooses, when He wants to, as He pleases. And we simply must go along with Him because He is, after all, God. Well, today I want to get more, I guess, it, it, more in the weeds about who the Holy Spirit is so that we can fully grasp, or no, well, you can't fully grasp the Holy Spirit. John said it so well Wednesday. This whole room could be filled with shelves of books trying to explain the Holy Spirit, trying to explain the Trinity, and we'd still never come to the end of it because nobody fully understands. That is the mystery of God. Uh, I don't want to serve a God that I fully understand. If I have a God I fully understand, then I don't really need Him, right? Um, let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. And we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us how the New Testament church came into being. And that's the importance of that, of that book. It's a historical record of how that early church was, uh, came into being, how it was born, how it grew. And we read a little bit of that story just a couple of weeks ago, and I would, I'm going through it right now in my own personal Bible reading, so it's refreshing my memory as well. Uh, 100, if you remember, 120 followers of Jesus gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem after Jesus' death, His resurrection and ascension, Jesus had told them to go there, and he said, wait for the gift, my, say gift. Gift, say it again. Gift. Keep that, keep that word in mind. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come up frequently in our study of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as those disciples waited for this promised gift, on the tenth day... The Holy Spirit fell upon them, if you remember, with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire appeared above each of their heads. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the record tells us, filled each one of them, and then they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It goes on to say that God-fearing Jews from all over the world happened to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover, or Pentecost, excuse me. And they heard these Christ followers, these unlearned, ignorant men from Galilee, they heard them speaking in their native tongues. And they wondered, what in the world is going on? Some of them even thought that the men were drunk. But they knew it was too early in the morning for that. But then suddenly, this fisherman named Peter steps up and he steps out and he begins to preach a gospel message. And at the conclusion of that message, he says, repent and be baptized, and all of you will receive this promised Holy Spirit. And it says that at, in that moment, 3,000, think about that, 3,000 of the people that heard Peter preach, repented of their sin, and were saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we learn how in, in Acts chapter 2 the church was born. One day there was no church, and then suddenly there was a church. So what happened in that upper room? 
What happened in that upper room that gave birth to the church, that, that infused them with so much boldness, so much power? What happened? Well, what happened was this. What happened was this. And listen carefully. For the very first time, for the very first time, the Holy Spirit was given by God the Father and God the Son as an indwelling presence to His people. For the very first time, the Spirit of God made His home in the hearts of His people. Not a tabernacle, not a temple. For the first time, the Spirit of God came to live inside His people. Not temporarily, not for just a few minutes, not for just a certain task, but for the very first time, the Holy Spirit took up permanent residence in God's people. And that changed everything. That changed everything. You see, we talk about the church as God's family, and we talk about the church as the body of Christ. But it's just as correct and just as truthful to say the church is also the dwelling place of God's Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon those 120 believers, the Holy Spirit came to indwell them, came to unite them, came to empower them, and came to send them out as a new kind of people, the people of God. Well, what I want to do this morning, for, it, it, again, it, this, it, this is such a huge topic. We're only going to be skimming the surface. It's only a survey. But today, what I just want to... to to throw out to you is what the Bible has to say about this Holy Spirit that has come to live inside the hearts of those who have repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior. Who is this Holy Spirit? What does He do? And why has He come to live inside the hearts of His people? What, what's so special about that? Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll get right into it. Father, I love You so much and I thank You for Your presence that's in this room this morning. I pray that every hungry heart would be satisfied today with Your Word and Your presence. I pray that those who, this morning who've walked into this place a little bit apathetic and indifferent to Your presence and to Your Word, I pray in the name of Jesus right now You would take Your divine plow and begin to just tear through the stony places in their heart. I pray, Father, whatever obstacle would stand in your way, that it would be removed right now in the name of Jesus. And whatever stronghold would erect itself against the knowledge of Christ right now, uprooted by the might that's in the hand of God. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to embrace this truth. We want to be everything you've created us to be. We want to understand it so that we can live it out every day, Father. We want to become everything everything you created us to be in Christ Jesus. We want to be filled with this Holy Spirit, filled till we overflow. We want the same boldness and the same courage and the same power that the disciples had in the book of Acts. It's ours to have, Lord. Give us a heart to have it. We love you. Whatever fear might stand in our way, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Father, let the fear be removed now. Let your perfect love throw all that out of our lives. Help us just to trust you, to walk in freedom, to walk in fullness, Lord. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen.
This is going to be a quick survey of what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. I've, I've placed some studies on the back table back there uh, to give you further insight into the Trinity because there's no way we could deal with it in, in, in a sermon like this. And also there's some brochures in the back talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you're interested in that, we have plenty of those brochures. We'd love for you to take some home and study and read for yourself. Listen, we've got to learn to study for ourselves. You're big enough, grown enough, sensible enough people, got enough common sense, you ought to be able to feed yourselves, right? You come here maybe to be challenged a little bit, maybe sometimes to get a little kick in the pants because you need it, maybe sometimes a little pat on the back because you need that, but you've got to learn to feed yourself, right? All right, let's get that straight. Here we go. Survey. What does the Old Testament have to say about the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit can barely be distinguished from Jehovah God, the covenant God of Israel. But we get glimpses of the Holy Spirit occasionally to help us see that the Holy Spirit is there and that He is a distinct person within the Godhead. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit participated in creation. Genesis 1-2 says, Now the earth was formless, and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see the Holy Spirit again in the creation of man. Genesis 2-7 talks about God breathing, in, breathing life into Adam's nostrils. And then in Job 33-4, it says, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So we get a glimpse again of the Holy Spirit participating in the creation of mankind. And then we see periodically throughout the Old Testament, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit who would temporarily fill individuals for various kinds of service. For example, in Exodus 31.3, it says there was a man named Bezalel. I hope that's right. Bezalel. John, is that anywhere close? Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to help build the tabernacle. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we read again about the Holy Spirit coming temporarily upon a person for a specific uh, task in a specific moment. It says the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, Saul, and he joined in their prophesying. So we only get glimpses or little hints of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But then when you get to the New Testament, suddenly you get a much wider, much more uh, clear, much more clear vision, an idea of who the Holy Spirit is. In the Holy Spirit, the, in the in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit takes on a much more prominent role. The New Testament overflows with information about the Holy Spirit's person, His nature, and His work. We see the Holy Spirit being featured throughout the Gospels in the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew 1.18, for instance, says that Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 it tells us that Jesus, John, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and told his disciples, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Mark 1.10, it says that just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
In Luke chapter 4, it says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. That's a sermon for another day. In, in John 14, 6, and if you want to get uh, a, a clear idea, uh, a more uh, comprehensive idea of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does, you could go to John chapter 14 through 17, I believe, and study that particular passage of Scripture. Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit there. I just wanted to point out one verse where Jesus talked about it. Jesus, in, in John 14, 6, Jesus promised the disciples that when He left, the Father would give them another advocate. Some translations say a comforter to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So we see the Holy Spirit at work throughout the Gospels. But when you get to the book of Acts, my Lord, the Holy Spirit just kind of itches there everywhere, nearly every page. There's some kind of indication of the work or the person of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, even uh, says that before Jesus ascended, He gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. In Acts chapter 5, we're told how Ananias and his wife died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon Gentile believers like He did the Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2. Again and again, the Holy Spirit shows up in the accounts of the early church, filling them, helping them, equipping them, leading them. And then, when you get into the letters, into the epistles written by Paul and others, we see the Holy Spirit continues to have prominence in their thoughts and in their doctrine. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then later in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, say that with me. Is it up there? It better be. Yes. Uh, Listen, if you don't shout on this verse, we're done. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you! Oh, that was so... Uh, Y'all need to go home and meditate on that one little sentence right there. Think about the implications of that for just a moment. No, seriously. Seriously. Think of the implications of this verse in your life. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Is there anything dead in your life He can't resurrect? You think your marriage is dead, right? (laughs) You think your body is so sick and you'll never recover and it's all over, right? You think your career is gone, right? The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in Thank you. I'll never overcome this addiction, man. It's got me. It's got a stranglehold on my life. I'll never be able to work through this situation. It's too big for me. The Spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in 
in you. Forget the excuses, y'all. I'm tired of excuses. I'm done. Uh Uh-uh. You come to me with an excuse this week, you know what I'm going to throw back in your face? The Spirit of God lives in you, and if He can raise Christ Jesus from the dead, you ain't got a problem. Come on, I'm telling you. We, We have completely... What's the worst that can happen to you in this life? I mean the worst. Losing. All right. I could have lost my dad this past weekend. I thought he had a major stroke. For all I knew, when I went to Tuscaloosa, that's what I expected, that he had a stroke. What's the worst thing that could have happened to me in that situation? My dad died? The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in him. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Come on now. I don't know what we're so afraid of. I, really, I, understand, I understand anxiety, understand worry, but who gets the last word? We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Let's stop living with fear. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in my heart. And if he can raise Jesus back from the dead, there is nothing he cannot do for me. For with God, nothing is impossible. Let's get this right. Let's let's, let's reorient our thinking a little bit here. God lives in us now. We don't have to go to, to the mountain to meet with Muhammad. <laughs> we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship in a temple, to offer him a sacrifice. Where does he live now? That changes everything. That changes everything. You have living inside of you a power greater than you could imagine, a presence more wonderful than anything else you've ever known. He's satisfying. He's deeply satisfying if you let him have his way in your life. I got to go on. You you see where I'm headed with this? Where am I? All right. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout the epistles, throughout the letters, the Holy Spirit continues to have prominence in the Word of God. In a couple of his letters including 1 Corinthians 12. Paul lists some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been... John has done one lesson on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it was fantastic. You need to be here this Wednesday to hear the second lesson, his outline, or actually his preaching notes are on the back back there, so you could steal it and preach it to somebody else if you wanted to. But Paul lists some gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then in Galatians 5, Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you what the perfect church would be like if there were such a thing. Here's what a perfect church would be like. It would be a church where all the gifts of the Spirit are manifest and where every member of that church was producing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Imagine a church like that, where all the gifts of the Spirit are in operation 
and where the Holy Spirit is producing his fruit in every member's life. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Because you don't even know what the fruit of the Spirit are. Somebody mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Listen to y'all, man. Bad I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love to see a church or be part of a church where every gift of the Spirit is in full operation? I mean full operation. But where every member was displaying the fruit of the Spirit in their life. So the gifts were never about them. It was never an ego thing. It was never to get a tent. It was simply to do the work of God. Oh, man, what a sweet place that would be. I'm still waiting. I'm still I'm still. Praying and hoping. Christian Life Fellowship, let's be such a church. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about the Holy Spirit when he tells us God's people have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus. By the way, it mentioned the Trinity there, doesn't it? Foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctifying work of the Spirit, and obedient to Christ. 1 Peter 4.4, 4, Peter calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of glory. The Apostle John talks about it in his epistles when he says in 1 John 4, 6, uh, by the name, the Spirit of truth. And in Revelation, the Holy Spirit speaks to the churches and is called in Revelation 19.10, the Spirit of prophecy. Here's where we'll start to bring it home a little bit. When you start putting... All this scriptural information together, when you start putting the evidence together, we begin to get a much clearer picture of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And the first thing we see about the Holy Spirit is this, He's a person. He's a person. He is not some kind of impersonal force. He is not some kind of energy source. He is not some kind of temporary emotion. He is a person. Let me give you some textual evidence to help clarify this. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit in a personal way, particularly in the New Testament, well, throughout the Bible actually, but in the New Testament, it becomes really, really clear. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit in a personal way with masculine pronouns. He, his, him. The Greek word for spirit, for instance, is the word pneuma. Pneuma is neuter. And when used in a regular sense, the word pneuma would take on, uh, would uh, take neutral or neuter pronouns to be in grammatical agreement within the sentence. But instead, every time the Holy Spirit is referred to, when pneuma is used in reference to the Holy Spirit, the verse uses masculine pronouns. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He's a person. A he. A him. A his. Not an it. And an it's. All right, let's get that clear. He's a person. We also see in the, in the Scripture other evidence that points clearly to the fact that he is a person. Now listen, there are plenty of other churches and religious bodies that do not believe the Holy Spirit is a person. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't. The Mormons don't. Pentecostal holiness don't. 
They believe the Holy Spirit is simply a power, an impersonal power of some kind. And I'm telling you, no, it's not true. He is His own distinct person. We see in, in the text, in the Bible text, that He has personal characteristics. The Holy Spirit demonstrates the psychological and emotional qualities of being a person. He has intelligence, and He can teach. He has a mind. He has free will, and He can choose. He has feelings, and He can be grieved if He is disobeyed. As a matter of fact, one verse uses the word outraged. The Holy Spirit was outraged. Can I ask you a question? If the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, then how could it be offended by sin or mistreatment? You can't, you can't offend an impersonal force. You can only offend a person. You can't grieve an it. I cannot grieve my car. But I can certainly grieve my wife and have done it more times than I care to count. If the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, then how could it ever be offended? It's, he's a person. You can offend the Holy Spirit. You can grieve His heart. Let me, how, how could we possibly grieve the Holy Spirit? What could we as human beings do to grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? What? Disobey. Deny Him. Say? Cold-heartedness, just indifference, apathy. Allow fear to remain in our mind and heart. Hold on to control. Did you say what you said? Hold on to control. Oh, we can grieve. We can quench Him. The Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? How do you pour cold water on the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Cloud can shut your ears to His voice. You can numb your heart, numb your emotions, numb your will. Come on, have you ever had the Holy Spirit and you knew it was the Holy Spirit talking to you? And you told him, ah, never mind, not right now. Maybe later. No more. No more. No more. Why would you want to shut the work of the Holy Spirit down in your life? Why would you want to grieve the heart of God? Why would you want to quench what God is trying to do in your life and through your life? He's a person. He's a person. He takes personal actions. He, has, he, does, he takes personal actions. He, the Holy Spirit acts as a unique person would act. He convicts sinners of sin. He glorifies Jesus. He makes decisions and He makes judgments. He speaks to and through people. He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person, and this is, this is what I want you to think about for just a moment. The Holy Spirit is a person, and that means we can have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says this, yeah, 5.25 says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we live, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Bible says in the Old Testament, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Think about that for just a minute. How do you keep in step with the Spirit of God? What? Keep reading. Keep studying. 
Obedience. Renewing your mind. Talk to him. Inviting him. What happens when you continue to disagree with him? I know what you're saying, but. I know what you want me to do, but. It won't take too long before you begin to feel the separation. It's confession for sure. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Not running ahead of Him. Not lagging behind Him. Keep in step. Keep in step. You see, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now about the things that He wants you to do in your life, and you keep telling Him, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And it's holding you back from the victory that you ought to be living in. You want to know why you're still stuck? Because you simply won't do what the Lord has told you to do. Come on, amen? amen. Enough. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in your heart, and He will give you the power and the ability to obey Him. Oh, it's too big, I can't do... Excuses? No. Forget, forget the excuses. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. If he says you can, you can. If he says you will, you will. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter simply of trusting him. We should walk with the Holy Spirit in unity. We should avoid any behavior or attitude that might grieve his heart. We should cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We should invite Him to make His home in our hearts. I want you to, that's a phrase. I, want, I hope you'll go home this afternoon and, and, and meditate on this for just a moment. How, what can I do to make the Holy Spirit more at home in my heart? He's come to live inside. What can I do To help him feel more at home in my heart. Does that make sense? When you have a special guest show up at the house, what do you start doing? I don't know what you do. I know what we do. We start picking up and cleaning, baby. I'm telling you. And when, you know, here you have the most special guest in the universe who has come to take up residence inside your heart. Is it still cluttered up with other junk? Is it, you know, does that make sense? What can I do to make my home a more inviting dwelling place for the Spirit of God? I am on so many rabbit trails. i got to get back. I'm sorry. Here we go. We see that the Holy Spirit in, in the biblical record is a person. A person, in, but He's also God. And it becomes really clear in the, in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, He is also God. As we continue to piece this evidence together, it becomes really clear. Let, let's look at some textual evidence really quickly. In, in Acts chapter 5, 
a man named Ananias pretended to give the church all the money he had earned by selling his property. And then in Acts chapter 5, 3 and 4, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Started off by saying, Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he finishes up his statement by saying, Ananias, you lied to God. Peter sees the Holy Spirit and God as being one. You get that? Then later on, Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, calls those who are believers God's temple in 1 Corinthians 3.16. And just a couple chapters later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he refers to us as the temples of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's mind, the Holy Spirit is, is seen as the owner of the temple because He is God and He is worthy of worship as God. You get that? So textually, you see this. God and the Holy Spirit are one. Okay? Then when you go on and kind of break down the evidence, you begin to see that the Holy Spirit has all the divine attributes of God. All the same characteristics that God the Father and God the Son have, the Holy Spirit has as well. He's omniscient. That means He knows everything. He is omnipresent. That means He is everywhere. He is omnipotent. That means He has all power. He is eternal. That means He has no beginning and has no end. He is sovereign. He does as He pleases. Look, you get a clear idea that the Holy Spirit is God. And then you can go on and as you study, it becomes really clear that the Holy Spirit does all the works that God would do. The Holy Spirit throughout the Bible does what only God can do. We see Him working as the divine agent in creation. He is the Spirit of God in creation, hovering over the waters, bringing order out of chaos. And now we'll preach, baby. Bringing order out of chaos. You know who's the one that's going to put your life back together again? It ain't going to be you. There ain't no power in you. Let me tell you who's going to put the chaos of your life back together. Who's going to bring order to the mess you've made? It's the Holy Spirit. You better let Him have His way in your life. Are you tired of drama? Are you tired of chaos? Are you tired of disorder? Well, you better let the Holy Spirit have His way in your life. You better make room for Him to come up and take residence in your heart. Let Him make His home in your life. Ah, I'm sorry I'm getting off. He works, mir he, he works miracles. Matthew 1.18, we see, we see that Christ is conceived by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 1.4, uh, 1, we see that He's the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, we see that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired and supervised the writers of Scripture. We see that in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 1. The reason we have this wonderful book at our disposal to teach us about Him, about His nature, His character, is because He is the one that inspired the writers and supervised the writing of it. So this is really cool. and John has said this before. When you read the Bible... You have the author there explaining it to you. The problem is we don't read it nearly enough. And so we walk around ignorant. I don't know about you. I mean, 
it was really cool last night for Angie and Cindy to go hear Dave and, and Jennifer to go hear David Crowder. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than just putting it on a CD and listening to it, isn't it? Because, I mean, the dude doing the music is right there. And then you had a chance to talk to him later, right? Or before. Well, guess what? When you pick that Bible up, it's one thing just to read it, to check it off for the day. Oh, I read it. It's another thing to say, Holy Spirit, show me what you're trying to say to me. Give me understanding and wisdom. It makes all the difference in the world. I'd invite you to try that tomorrow morning, maybe this afternoon when you get home. Open up that word and say, Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes and my heart to what you're trying to say to me in this word today? I don't want to read it just like ink on a page. I want to know what you're saying so I can put it into practice. You believe he'll answer that prayer? <laughs> Absolutely he will. Just be ready to do it. No excuses, right? And another important thing about the Holy Spirit, he does what only God can do. He participates in the salvation of men from new birth, he's the one that convicts us of sin, draws us into the presence of, the Holy, uh, of, of Jesus, and reveals Jesus to us as Savior. He's the one that works on the inside to change who we, uh, how we see things and how we act and behave, sanctification. And he'll be the one to, that will be in operation when our bodies are glorified in that last day. He's actively participating in our salvation from beginning to end. Look, when you put all this, let's bring it to a close. When you put all this biblical evidence on the table, it becomes perfectly clear that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. The Holy Spirit. I hope that we've cleared all that up. I, I get so many questions about the Trinity. Let there be no doubt in your mind the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is equal in every way to the Father and to the Son. He is fully divine as the Father and Son are divine. The Holy Spirit is God, but He is not the Father and He is not the Son. He is one of three distinct persons within the Godhead. He is equal in power, love, mercy, justice, holiness, knowledge, and all other qualities. And we see Him. We see Him as, a, as God when the Holy Trinity is pictured for us at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. We see God the Son in the water. We hear God the Father speak from heaven. And we see the Holy Spirit doing what? Alighting upon Christ like a dove. So we have this picture here. Three distinct persons within this Godhead. He's mentioned again in uh, Matthew 28, 19. Again, it's a real clear picture that He is God. He's mentioned as the equal, as equal with the Father and the Son when Jesus gives His disciples the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There you have again a clear picture. Three persons, one Godhead. And then we see again, Paul mentions it. It says out of the mouth of at least two or three witnesses a thing is established. Well here you have you have Peter mentioning it, Paul mentioning it here in, in, first, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, three persons, one God. You get this? Three persons, one God. It all points to the truth that the Holy Spirit is the third person in our triune God. And there are all kinds of implications and applications that flow from it, okay? I'm just going to mention three real quickly. 
already talked about it quite a bit, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. First, if he's God, then he's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be worshipped. It's okay to sing songs to the Holy Spirit. It's okay to revere him as God, to honor him as God, because that's who he is. It's okay to obey him when he speaks. It's okay. It's okay. He's God. As God, he can also be addressed in our prayers. He is our helper. We can turn to him when we're in need and speak to the Holy Spirit as God and ask him to bring us that peace that passes all understanding. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. It's okay. It's okay. You can pray for his help in overcoming the addictions in your life. You can pray to the Holy Spirit for his comforting presence when you're going through a difficult time. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to. <laughs> because he's already praying for you. He's already praying for you. The third thing I want to mention here is this. He's God. And as God, his presence and his work in our lives should be embraced. Come on, man. Come on, man. You want to know why we're so weak in some cases? Because we keep holding the Holy Spirit off at arm's length saying, not yet, not now. Please wait. Can't do that, won't do that right now. Please hold off. No, man, he is God. He's not against you, he's for you. He may be convicting you of your sin. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. This freedom of the Lord comes from embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Are you tired of living in fear? Are you tired of living in bondage? The Holy Spirit brings freedom to your life. It gives you power to overcome the same Spirit. That raised, I'm going back to that. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Embrace it. Embrace it. Learn to obey him when he speaks. Don't try to twist his words. Mm. That's another sermon. It's just so much, man. I can only do so much here. You got to study on your own. Man, I, I, all right. Let me just finish this. John and, and uh, Bill and Steve, would you guys come and help us? Brian, would you help us with communion this morning? Uh, and Richard, please. Look, I, I, I can't imagine a more precious gift. I cannot imagine a more precious gift that God has given us than His indwelling presence in our life. It changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. It's the Holy Spirit that supernaturally transforms our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. It's the Holy Spirit that brings new life to us. It's the Holy Spirit who, who renews our mind. 
from the in, changing us from the inside out. He is God. And he desires to have a personal relationship with us. It's a gift from the Father and the Son to us as God's people. These bodies have become His temple. Oh man, meditate on that for just a moment. (laughs) This mortal body, your physical body, has become a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think for just a moment of all the ways we have abused His temple. All of the ways we have desecrated His temple. It's as if someone walked into this church and just started throwing garbage, pails full of garbage in this room. And we would think, why would anybody do that? Listen, before you start pointing fingers at someone else, think about what you've done to your own body. We resist the working of the Holy Spirit in our minds. We fill it with so much junk and we wonder why we stay so confused about his purposes and plans for our life when we can barely distinguish his voice above any other voice in our life we hold him at arm's length saying not now i've got other things i want to do and we push him away when he's so clearly speaking to our hearts, and we know it, we know it. I've sat in all kinds of counseling sessions where people knew what the Holy Spirit was telling them to do, but they just weren't willing to do it. So they stayed stuck. And they just continued to steep in their pain. As we come to this table today, to remember what Christ did for us. Please keep in mind that one of the great gifts He has given us is to send His Spirit to live in our lives. It's one of the greatest benefits of our salvation. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. Christ made that possible under this new covenant. Let the Spirit of God have His way in your life. Let Him reveal Jesus to you more clearly than you've ever seen Jesus before. Let the Holy Spirit explain the Word of God to you. Let the Holy Spirit sanctify you, set you apart for the glory of God. Let the Holy Spirit do everything the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let the Holy Spirit come in and make Himself at home in your heart.